Uh, welcome back, everybody. Do your part. Jeff Michael, a friend of mine, local name and face here in Southern California. We're going to cover a lot of stuff. Jane Fonda, future of news, aviation even. Stick with us. Another great hour. Everything is fueled from me wanting to be a better person on Earth. It's time to do your part. Welcome back, everybody. Do your part. Still on the road. Now I am in Pasadena near the Rose Bowl with Jeff Michael. If you don't know who he is, just like the rest of my guests, just go ahead and Google him. Uh, so he's allowed me into his beautiful home and we're going to have a nice chat. Thank you. How you doing? I'm doing well for whatever it is, month eight. I know, right? Of this uh, pandemic. Uh-huh. I was talking to a friend of mine last night uh, and he said, oh, well, it's Friday. And I said, no, it's Monday. It's like everything's yeah. a blur, right? Yeah. I think, I think one of the big problems or, or difficulties is realizing that all of the emotions you have, all of the confusion you have, that feeling of lack of mooring to something foundational, mm -hmm. millions of others are experiencing that as well. Mm -hmm. You know, and sometimes uh, that feeling of being lost or that feeling of being unsure, you just don't want to share it because you're sure you're the only one who is you know, just can't get a grip. But you're not. You're not. Right? So do you find solace in the fact that there are a lot of other people that are kind of uh, in the same position as we are? No. Yeah. No, I, I think, um, you know, I think that misery loves company thing is is pithy and, and nice, mm -hmm. to, you know, to, to pass the time. But the fact is, it doesn't get us anywhere. Mm -hmm. It doesn't... Uh, Knowing that you or, you know, our friend who does who's in between jobs is feeling the same way maybe we are, mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't that doesn't tell us where to go next. And and uh, and that's really the rub, isn't it? It really is. You know? You're right. When you put it that way, it's uh, we don't find comfort in that. It just kind of makes it that much more just the magnitude is just that much bigger. Um, so I have another question for you, but I always ask my guests when I asked you to sit down with me, you didn't hesitate to say yes. So why were you willing to meet with me? Well, I think, uh, first of all, I like, I like doing it. I always am the one interviewing people. I'm not the one being interviewed. So <laughs> I like the idea of being asked questions because mm -hmm. I've been doing it for 38 years and um, and I deserve a little of my own medicine. I that's, could not agree more. That's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is you and I have known each other casually for a decade. Yeah. And um, there, you know, you're a person um, to, uh, to, to get biblical about it in whom there's no guile. So <laughs> why would I expect any problems from Brian? Yeah, I love it. That's yeah. the that's everybody has an interesting answer. That might be one of my favorites. <laughs> I'll take it. Thank okay. you. So again, um, thanks for allowing me in your home and thanks for sitting down with me. So going back to our conversation uh, or kind of the topic a moment ago, through this weird time, these eight months, are you finding that you're able to be creative? A lot of people are tapping into creativity. Do you find that you kind of want to veer into something you've never done before or are you purging your closets or? You know, I, I wish, I wish that were the case. Mm -hmm. I think this comes down to less about the opportunity of maybe not being back at the TV station mm -hmm. than it does really your personality. And when we look at our personalities and what we're able to navigate psychologically, um, and not, not, not to get into psychology one-on-one here, but mm -hmm. that really goes back to our childhood. Mm -hmm. You know, it goes back to where are we safe? Um, what activities make us feel unsure. Mm -hmm. um, I heard a, uh, I heard I've been doing various types of meditating and um, Deepak Chopra said something and he's doing a seven day uh, meditation challenge. I think we're close to the end of it. But this, the number two meditation spoke to me really directly and I, and I loved it. He said, we all derive our value and worth from work. Work make it pats us on the back. We have produced something. We have, even if it's just gotten a paycheck, it tells us that our actions have value. Mm -hmm. And that value may be money, that value may be attention, that value may be whatever it might be for you. Mm -hmm. But without work, universally human beings tend toward depression and they tend toward psychosis and they tend toward other mental, you know, various forms of mental illness. Yeah. So I say all that as a preface because for me, everyone told me, oh, enjoy this time. 
go do something fun. Take a vacation. Well, I, you know, I'm a journalist. I'm a, I'm someone who wants to get things done. Yeah. I want to go to the next spot. Mm -hmm. And so I have taken an entirely different tact during this period. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate you being honest. Yeah. Um, I think that we're all kind of uh, confused, right? So we're trying to fill our days with things and trying to uh, prepare, but the future is unknown. And that's the hardest part, at least for me. Um, so as I kind of bumped you in, Again, you can Google him if you don't know who he is. We, we all here in Southern California know who you are. Nationally, you're known. You've done many other things besides journalism. But paint us a picture. Tell us about your background. And then I want you to talk about, you know, your childhood. <laughs> oh, yeah. I told you this was coming. Uh, for all the people that only know him as let's, a newsie. Let's go from your resume to your to your favorite blankie. And we only got an okay. hour, so we're peeling back. Uh, exactly. That's my dog. He's it's such right. a sweetheart. Come here, little dude. Tucker, stop. Okay, go ahead. Um, uh Excuse me, I apologize. No, no, no. Um, but that's real, though. Uh, so, so I, first of all, I wouldn't say that I'm in any way known nationally. I've worked around the country. Uh, I, I started my career in Reno. Mm -hmm. uh, I went from Reno to Richmond, Virginia. This mm -hmm. was in the 80s. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then from Richmond, I went to Miami, which was probably where my news chops started getting honed. Okay. Okay, that was... That was in the late 80s, uh, covering the Overtown riots, um, covering major hurricanes. Uh -huh. uh, I then became a crime specialist in Miami at WSVN. And that was an interesting time. Uh, I, you know, my commentary on that was I think that it was probably um, a little overly opportunistic of the station to focus on crime at a time when crime was high mm -hmm. and people were afraid mm -hmm. and that factors in racial components mm -hmm. whenever you talk crime whenever you talk suburbs versus urban environment and i that part of it i did not appreciate but mm -hmm. i was the i was the guy they chose and so i was a a crime specialist sounds like some elements of danger as well obviously if you're out there in the streets yeah, covering I, I would say so i think i think you know in the united states we um we kind of have this journalists believe that because they have a big J on their back mm -hmm. that nobody's going to shoot them. Right. And, and for the most part, that's true. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean you're not going to have a brick or two thrown at you, which I've had and I've or had a gun pointed at me, which I've had as well. And especially nowadays. Well, yeah, yeah, that's true. And uh, and then in uh, in 1990, uh, I got an offer from KABC television in Los Angeles to do what I was doing in Miami. Okay. To be a crime specialist. Were there crime specialists here already in LA? Yes, and it's really kind of, look, it's gonna be, it's political. It's probably going to bore the audience uh, if I were to go into it too much. Um, but yes, there was, a, there was a crime specialist in Los Angeles who had been hired by a news director who used to be in Miami. Uh -huh. So she was copying what I was doing in uh -huh. Miami. Uh -huh. uh, so I came to LA. I was a crime specialist until Desert Storm hit. And that pretty much took the focus off of things such as, you know, senseless street crime. Yeah. When now we had to worry about national security uh -huh. and our men and women overseas. And then uh, I've pretty much covered everything in Los Angeles that has happened in the past 30 years. Jeez. Including, including stories outside of Los Angeles like the Oklahoma City bombing. Uh-huh. You know. What is the craziest thing that you've covered? What's the most memorable thing, the craziest thing that you've covered? That's a tough question. You don't have to answer it now, but you know, I have I, to ask. I think, I think, the, I think what, what is memorable is almost always, we're looking up at the Murrah Federal Building that had just been destroyed mm -hmm. uh, with all those lives. Um, that's a picture that is probably most memorable to me. Mm -hmm. um, seeing, seeing, you know, a body hanging in a tree from Hurricane Katrina um, in Mississippi, in Gulfport, Mississippi. Uh, I'm almost sorry I asked. Those wow. things. Well, you know, it's always the it's always the devastating things, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Um, I remember I covered the. Uh, there was an air crash. United Flight 232 tumbled down a cornfield in Sioux City, Iowa, and I was there the next day. And uh, there were so many people who had who had died, and I had a young woman and her father come up to me and say can you tell us how to get to the morgue? And it just made me stop and, you know, and realize that being the impartial observer 
of what happens in our country um, does not mean you are the unaffected observer. Right. That's well said. Um, all right. So as I mentioned a moment ago, I definitely want to hear more about um, your upbringing and where you were raised and kind of how you've kind of moved into journalism. I do. Um, and I guess we should jump right into that. But what you mentioned a moment ago, I at some point want to focus on journalism then and now, right? Because there's, sure, it's, sure. It, we, we have a, a very bad rap right now and it's not fair. But let's go back to your, pick which one you want to talk about. Well, let's talk about that because I'm okay. not sure it's not fair. Okay. I think I might, I, I think I might disagree with you on that. All right. And good. Cause I'm a little green and tell me, shed some light. Well, it's, it's this whole fake news thing and the no credibility. It's unfair to me. Well, okay. Therein, you're correct. I think, I think that this was the, the whole change in the news media, the change in our veracity, our believability. I think that, obviously, I think everybody would agree, it pretty much began with Fox News. Um, I moved actually from uh, KABC to the Los Angeles Fox station in 1998. And I, at the time, really didn't even know what Fox News was. Mm -hmm. So we're talking not very long ago, 22 mm -hmm. years ago. Mm -hmm. um, now, although I at a uh, owned and operated broadcast station owned by Fox was not affected by the, I don't want to call it an agenda at that point. Well, maybe it was an agenda, that's mm -hmm. fair, mm -hmm. of Fox News. I certainly watched its growth. So the question is, and, and by the way, Rupert Murdoch was brilliant in devising and producing news coverage for a segment of the United States population that felt they were being underserved. Mm. These were not people who read the New York Times. These were not people who chose to read the Washington Post, mm -hmm. and they didn't really care for the national for national public radio, mm -hmm. all of which now under the, these, you know, kind of descriptions would be now considered left of center. Right. Um, so they chose to go right of center decidedly. And what happened was other programmers, specifically CNN and then to a second degree MSNBC, felt they had to reinforce the audience that was their base. Okay. And thus the division began. Now, the one, the one enjoyable thing is that in a, from a local news standpoint where I, you know, was anchoring at Fox 11 and then anchoring at CBS, mm -hmm. we really didn't have to worry too much about that because we weren't doing a lot of punditry, you know, uh, Q and A, mm -hmm. filling time. We were just reporting stories. So mm -hmm. it really didn't affect us that much. But we became the recipient of the war that began being waged up on the national level between Fox News and CNN mm -hmm. and MSNBC and the New York Times uh, versus the Wall Street Journal, both fine you know, newspapers. Um, and people started looking at us with a jaundiced eye. They started disbelieving everybody because they didn't know who to believe. So that's 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 one take on the on the evolution of what happened. Well, and if anybody is going to know, it's going to be you. It's going to be people that were on the inside of it. Right. And watching it unfold. Um, I'm really glad that I asked you that question, because I think that the majority of us are led to believe that this is something that's unfolded in the past four to six years. Let's just talk about yeah. the transition from Barack Obama into Donald Trump. I mean, Donald Trump was the one that kind of coined fake news. I don't think, I think we all were at least led to, we were supposed to be credible, right? That was the whole point of being a journalist is giving the truth. And then look at you got your face. What do you want to say? No, I think, I think you're right. But I think that we take the bait yeah. just like in Donald Trump's case, just like Donald Trump's opponents take mm -hmm. the bait yeah. to be able to Don, Donald Trump uses what's known in in uh, uh, logic or in philosophy as an ad hominem argument. Okay. When you can't argue the facts or the points on the table, you just argue about the argument. You just bring in something that has nothing to do with anything and you blow it up. Ad hominem, Ad hominem. argument. Yes. This yeah. is good. Go on. So, so, you know, we expect a certain percentage of the population to take that red herring and follow it. You don't expect trained journalists to do it. Right. But they can't 
help themselves. They can't help themselves. And it's, it's unfortunate. Now, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. If you're, a, if you're a real consumer of news, I mean, like, you know, I get up in the morning and probably go through, I don't know, three to five publications mm -hmm. and a couple more newsletters. Then you're going to get past that. Mm -hmm. But if you're a casual news observer, you listen a little bit to the radio, you stream a little bit of this, you watch a little bit of that, you're going to, the highlight you're going to see is how Donald Trump behaved, the fly on Mike Pence's head. Bullshit. Just that's, BS. It's going to be BS. Yeah. It's, it's all stuff that doesn't matter. Yeah. Anyway. No, I, this is not where I thought the conversation was going to go. You know, but but I, I think that there's so many looming questions out there for everybody. You know, yeah. we're on the inside of it and everybody that people talk to me with well, the business you work in and they, I, they don't attack us, but they definitely have an opinion. So it's nice to be able to unpack some of this for people. Right. But isn't, isn't it easier, though, Brian, to attack the messenger than it is to attack the person who de who developed the, the message? Because when you attack the source, you risk cutting off at the knees the person or philosophy you say you believe in. Mm, right. But if you attack the messenger, you can say and do whatever you want all day. Uh-huh. That's a really good point. Yeah. And again, I feel like we obviously are the messengers, and I've had my share of being attacked. Have you heard of the Dunning-Kruger effect? I've heard of it, but I can't remember what it is. It's a theory that basically there's a, people inherently want to fight for something, and they've committed to that uh, argument, but they know nothing about the topic. Right? Does that make sense? It did. Well, no, not yet. It doesn't. But go ahead. But you get what I'm saying. Okay. So they've committed. They've committed by passion to fight for something, but they don't understand what they're fighting for. Correct. So it's essentially it's like a lot of these. Uh, let's say Trump's base, for instance. And no offenses to people, but some people out there that uh, you know believe that 9/11 was uh, Barack Obama's fault. Things like that. Right. They're fighting well, for no, a that cause, goes, but that don't goes, know the research. That's not even a cause. That that's just that's just flat out lies. Well, yeah. But I mean, I, we can talk about we can talk about like you know saying I believe in healthcare for all. Uh -huh. I don't understand a thing about healthcare, but I say I believe in it. I'm going right. to fight for it. that. I would I would say okay. I, a lot of people do that. Uh -huh. But if if you go to the point where you say we didn't land on the moon or Barack Obama caused 9/11, mm -hmm. or you come up with conspiracy theories and you start getting into you know backwater channels on the mm -hmm. internet that that are just BS and that's mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't. You can call it the Dunning-Kruger effect if you want, but I just think you have a lot of people who are uh, incapable of, of processing information. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let me ask you this. Two questions. Uh, future of news, right? So as you've, again, been in it for almost, what, upwards of 40 years, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, seeing late 90s, how there was this kind of division beginning, the seed was planted. So what does the next 10 years look like? Is this going to collapse on us? You know, I think that has a lot to do with what we see the, the three major players, um, internet players doing in you know, Facebook, Google, Twitter. Um, I mean, not so much Instagram because it's not a real conveyor of news as mm -hmm. much. Um, I think it depends a lot upon them. I think it depends a lot upon whether or not uh, the electorate, the population of the United States is going to continue to fracture itself mm -hmm. uh, and and because I think the more fractured we are, the more passionate we are about ensconced positions that we hold, the less we seek the other viewpoint. Understanding of the opposition. Yeah. The, the opposition. Agreed. So I think so the answer to your question, the, the, where news is headed largely is going to depend upon what news consumers do mm -hmm. and how well they try to process information. What news consumers do? You're talking to them. Yeah, I know. People. I know. You know, and, and look, this this also goes back. This also goes back well beyond the internet. Before mm -hmm. the internet, a lot of uh, a lot of academicians would say that television news, specifically, and to an extent, radio, lost its way when it news had to earn a profit. News didn't used to have to earn a profit. Mm -hmm. News was a money losing department within the three major broadcast networks. Mm -hmm. But then they realized they're getting a lot of eyeballs and there's no reason they can't make that advertising pay for itself. And as soon as that started, that started the slow, um, I think, erosion yeah. of what journalists want to report 
versus what people want to see. And as, as soon as you just give people what they want to see, then obviously the veracity of your writing is going to be called into question mm -hmm. because you're going to be called a panderer. Mm -hmm. And to an extent you are. You are, right. I had a news director who used to say, if you're going to be in television news, you have to be okay with being a little bit Edward R. Murrow and a little bit P.T. Barnum. <laughs> okay, I got the circus part. I didn't get the first name. I didn't get the first reference. Edward R. Edward R. Murrow is considered the father of television journalism, if you will. He started, I believe it's here and now. Okay. I'm, now my, my history is going to, don't correct me, everybody out there. But um, he, uh, yeah, he's, he's kind of the guy who, who put television news, if not on par with, at least in the spectrum with uh -huh. print journalism. Gotcha. I learned something today. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. And I get it because there is a circus element to all of it. And mm -hmm. there has been, yeah. right? Yeah. And I guess that's where the entertainment factor comes in. Um, all right. So let's kind of button up the news side a little bit. And I want to get back to, uh, you mentioned Reno. I believe you're from Sacramento. Yep. I was born at yes. UC Davis Medical Center. I don't know if you know this. Yes, I did not know that. 916. So tell me a bit about your upbringing. I want to hear high school. I want to hear what led you into journalism. <laughs> yeah. It's not, these... it's not very interesting. Well, I'll mean, make I, it interesting. I'll make it. <laughs> In other words, embellish. Oh, well, come on. Do what we just said. Don't embellish. Do exaggerate. what we just said journalists shouldn't do. Just exaggerate a little bit. Um, yeah, you know what? I was uh, an only child um, uh, growing up in Sacramento in the 70s, and um, it was uh, uh, it was a fairly, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to dive too deeply into, into childhood psychology. I've, I've paid plenty to do that with therapists over the years. Um, but I, you know, I think I was always interested in, in being, I'm an extrovert. Mm -hmm. And I and, and I say I'm an extrovert, and it's necessary because one of the kind of pedestrian definitions of of being an extrovert versus an introvert is do you do you get energy? Do you build energy from being in the company of others mm -hmm. where things are happening and a lot of talking is going on, or do you recharge your batteries when you're alone? Mm. I recharge my batteries when I'm in the middle of what's going on, and excitement is everywhere. And I'm on deadline. Now I'm kind of using my terms from right now. Mm -hmm. So I think that started interesting me. I went to UC Davis. Uh, I chose a major, an interdepartmental major of mass communication, which joined, you know, rhetoric with philosophy, with political science and history. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I was interning at a TV station in Sacramento, and I realized how much I loved the rush of covering a news story. Mm -hmm. I remember I followed a reporter back to my campus at UC Davis where Jane Fonda was speaking. Oh, wow. And, you know, that was a that was a big deal. Huge, especially know? at that time. Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was way, way post post Vietnam. But trust me, Jane Fonda found ways to ruffle feathers, you know, every two or three years. Mm -hmm. um, and I just thought, wow, this is really interesting. And watching that reporter put together his story, listen to what she said, figure out how to excise a certain segment of her speech and put it into his story, which we call a soundbite, which I guess now everybody knows that term. That was just fascinating to me. Now, I, I'm not sure what it was about my childhood or about my upbringing that made that whet my appetite. Maybe it was that I came from conservative parents mm -hmm. and I, I, I liked change. Mm -hmm. I liked something new every something day. Different, yeah. And if you grow up in a fairly conservative household, I mean, what's the what's the definition of conservatism? It's it's change as little as possible. Mm -hmm. What's working well today is good. What worked well yesterday is even better. And oh. what worked well ten years ago is great. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Go on. Yeah. So yeah, I'm a NorCal hippie. So you know, but go ahead. Well, there was my mother was too. an Aggie, by the way. She went to UC Davis. Oh as well. wow. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I remember growing up, I mean, even before, you know, I was in my teenage years, I remember my grandmother, I lived in a lot of my time in San Francisco, and, and uh, my parents would roll up the windows when we would drive through the hate, you know, and say, Jeffrey, roll the windows up. Uh -huh. That was the hippie time. Uh huh. You know, so I think... Probably did the same through the Castro? <laughs> 
just curious. Hey, I think I have to tell you, my uh, my my uncle, whose art is hanging in my house, uh, would probably laugh at that as well. Everybody's got a gay uncle. He, everybody's <laughs> got a gay uncle. That's right. Uh, so, he, um, yeah. All right, so go on. But anyway, yeah. I, I, the I just, rush. Yeah, it was the rush, yeah. you know, and it was change. And uh-huh. it was the idea of, and maybe, look, I think it's interesting. This kind of goes back to what I said about Deepak Chopra and about what we work at, what we produce determines our, for ourself, in our own minds, determines our self-worth or our value. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you're raised questioning your value, you're going to seek it in, a, in an accelerated manner when you become an adult. Wow. I think if you were raised um, to believe you have intrinsic value, uh-huh. and that comes very often, most often, from cross-gender parents, uh-huh. so boys get it from their moms, uh-huh. girls get it from their dads, then I think you're a little bit more sanguine with what you need to do as a professional. I think you can feel comfortable choosing something that doesn't necessarily validate you, but something you're interested in. So maybe I chose something that validated me. That was a good nugget. That was really good right well, there. Sorry. Maybe. I, you know, I think I chose something that validated my work every day. Uh-huh. Think about it. What, what I do as a journalist, it starts when the story begins. I go into the writing phase. I go into the editing phase. I get it on the air. Mm-hmm. I go home and whatever that story was, this is when I was a street reporter, whatever that story was, I watched that on the air. If it was a good job, I did a good job that day. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that I love about journalism from a standpoint of being validated. Mm -hmm. You know, now there are many journalists who don't need that validation. They just probably they're called print journalists, you know, who I, I look up to. Um, my, my best buddy is a print journalist. Uh So, uh, um, but that's, that's a possibility. You know, I love that. I think that the biggest takeaway so far from this conversation really is embedded in what you just said. Like if you have self-worth at a young age, right. And you can identify with that as you move into your adult life. That's huge. It is huge. So thank you to my mother, rest in peace. Cause I truly, I think I'm on that side of being able to, I was a confident kid, you know, I had self-worth. Hmm. You know, I was loved. This is about you, not me, but I wanted to share that with you. Well, but don't you, don't we always look at what we don't do well? And that even goes to more reinforcement um, of children because, uh, I mean, I was a good singer. Mm-hmm. I sang my way through, uh, all the way through four years of college at whatever their top singing group was, their mm-hmm. chamber singers. I was an okay athlete. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. in, in, uh, I remember in high school, I was, I mean, I played football for three years and I remember, and I was very interested in aviation. And my dad told me, he said, if you get a job, I will pay for half of your flying lessons and you pay for half of your flying lessons and we'll get you your pilot's license. And I went to my football coach and I said, coach, I've got a I really want to get my pilot's license and here's, you know, what my dad is saying. And, but I can't play football my senior year and take flying lessons. And I just wonder what you think. And my coach, I'll always remember this. He said, he goes, no, nah, I don't care. Do what you want to do. Now, I knew I wasn't God's gift to football, right? <laughs> but you didn't, have to ju- you didn't have to just verify it so blatantly. Right, it's, like, right. it's almost like he looked at me and said, I'm sorry, Jeff who? <laughs> you know? So I thought, well, screw you, man. I'm gonna, then I'm going to go do something that most teenagers don't do. Mm-hmm. Now, was I, was I doing it? I think I was just doing it because for my love of flying, but it was also very self-validating. Mm-hmm. So I became a private pilot in high school. Jeez, how many people can say that? Took people on, took people on flights. Can you still fly? I can, but my license, well, by FAA rules, your license is always valid if you do certain things. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't fly with me. It's been years. (laughs) I trust you. I mean, I would go, I would go to a refresher course and, but flying is just too expensive. We'll just crack a Heineken and just, Mm -hmm. just see where we, where we land. Um, (laughs) Okay. So go on. He didn't mean that. I didn't. Uh, Anyway. So, I mean, I, I kind of, I've kind of gone everywhere, but that's. Mm -hmm. I think I just finished with another reason that maybe I chose what I did. Yeah, and that you and how you kind of. So it wasn't like you fell in the news. It was really it was a conscious decision, uh, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and also aviation. Tell me about you have kids. Let's talk about your family a little bit. Sure. Yeah. 
Uh, I uh, in in what respect though? I well, mean, just because again, I think that this is an opportunity, at least for me. I'm using this more for me, not them. I I don't know much about you. I mean, okay. I know you, but I don't know about y your kids or how old they are or, um, you know, anything you want to share. Hmm. Anything you want to share for people that just is about you and your personality, your per sure. personal life. Sure. Um. Well, I uh, I have three kids. Okay. Um, my ex-wife and I have three kids. My ex-wife and I are still very close and, and great friends. Nice. Um, I have uh, a son. My oldest son is in his early 30s, mm -hmm. and uh, he's an attorney. He's married to an attorney, and they mm -hmm. just had their second child. Well, they're here in Southern California? And they're here in Southern California. Nice. Um, my middle son, uh, who is probably the most like me uh -huh. in many respects, uh, is uh, just turned 30 and he works in the addiction treatment business. Okay. Um, and is just, I, I mean, I can't say, I can't say enough about all of my kids. Mm -hmm. I, I really can't, you know, and as, as every proud parents, you know, does mm -hmm. my, uh, my daughter um, is my youngest and uh, she's just a year and a half behind Ryan. And she also became an attorney. Oh, wow. Um, and she's pr probably the one who, has the greatest love of the law. Mm -hmm. She is in litigation and is, and other attorneys out there will, will know why I'm proud of her when I say this. She's clerking for a federal judge in Northern California mm -hmm. uh, and may clerk for an appellate court. And I think will probably end up uh, being a federal prosecutor. Wow. So yeah. you're proud dad. That's a yeah, lot. Yeah, right I am. There. And I think, but I think it's interesting. Two out of three chose law. I'm a very critical thinker, you know, philosophy and logic was very important to me. Um, this is, I will, t I will share something that's going to maybe split our audience up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Maybe you will or won't like me for this. I don't know. I went through a period from college, high school, from high school all the way into my adult life. I was a very dedicated, all my gay friends out there, withhold your breath. I was a very dedicated evangelical born again Christian. Whoa. Mm -hmm. This was when in your early 20s? High school through my early adulthood. Interesting. Okay. And I approached this it. This is the I, stuff we want to I hear. I approached it from a philosophical background. I believed, you know, I was at first, I was arguing against Kierkegaard and existentialism. I thought it was wrong. I was reading all about, you know, deism and about. All the, in other words, I, it was a total, it was a, a, a intellectual approach mm -hmm. to um, to Christianity. But let's let's be honest. It really, what it did was, it gave me a lot of answers as a teenager to questions I was too afraid to ask. Mm. Now think about that. Mm -hmm. Religion gave me proscribed answers to life's questions that I was too afraid to ask and therefore didn't really have to go through because the Bible said, fill in the blank. Yeah. Do, don't, don't mm -hmm. do. This is okay, this is not okay. I think that served a psychological purpose for me. I raised my kids though with Christianity in mind, but I, also, I always told them, if this does not seem true to you, do not believe it. Mm -hmm. Test everything, including what I'm telling you about God. Mm -hmm. And then there came a time in my uh, 40s where it just didn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. I, wow. was, I was pedaling that bicycle and I realized there was a certain, um, I, I, I won't call it fallaciousness, that's not true, um, because I respect Christianity and I respect um, you know theology. Uh, but it just... I, I just couldn't grow and yet as a human being and as a man and grow within that construct I needed. And you can, everybody listening could say, oh, well, no shit. I mean, he went through a midlife crisis. Mm -hmm. Damn right I did. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason psychologists call it a crisis. It's, it's not, it, it's the butt of jokes, but it, it's a fucking crisis. It's real. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and that, put me on a path of being more understanding, realizing how little I really do know, um, being more welcoming of every view. Mm -hmm. Now there's some views I disagree with. Yeah. There's some views who I think that I think are just flat out wrong. 
but I welcome them. And I wasn't able to do that before. Mm-hmm. So I say that because, and I, I, the reason I brought all that up is because I ended up raising very logical kids, kids who think very philosophically. Okay. And I did it because I had a theological interest as a young adult and a young father. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't think any of them have really chosen to embrace religion. Mm-hmm. Um, on their own accord. On their own accord. Because yeah. you didn't pressure them. No, of course not. And I believe in critical thinking. Yeah. And I believe there are, I mean, there are millions of critical thinking religious people out there. Uh-huh. Obviously. Obviously. Some of our greatest minds um, in, you know, Christianity and Judaism and Islam are, you know, come from theologians. Mm-hmm. Anyway. No, this is great. And again, <laughs> that was know, part of me you didn't know. Well, but that's what I, when we, before we spoke or before we went into the session, that's what I really want to know is stuff like that. And the things that, that people can relate to, right? Religion is obviously, has always been a hot topic. I don't quite know how uh, people are led to religion. My sister, who I love dearly, found God in her late 20s um, and it suits her. But it sounds like, again, your, yours was all stemmed from critical thinking. Um, so this is fascinating. Yeah. I mean, do you agree? Most people find religion from influence, from their family, from their parentals. That's, yeah, know. most do. I, I, I mean, if you go back to the 60s, uh, late I mean, You 60s, were a different teenager, very different. Yes, Sorry, yes, go ahead. yes. I've lived, I have relived my teenage life uh, thoroughly in my 40s and 50s. Um, <laughs> Which actually sounds like a, not a bad making thing. Making up for a lost time. Well, what, you know, you got to uh, always kind of check in with the, with the kid in your heart, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but no, yes, it's usually through familial, um, you mm-hmm. know, kind of influence. Uh, back in the, in the 60s and early 70s, it was the whole Jesus movement and the whole um, uh, kind of like radical conversion uh-huh. uh, where, and, and that's why the church I went to had a lot of uh, recovered drug addicts in it and, and uh, yeah, people who <laughs> came from sordid lives because they were so in, as Christians would say, so in the darkness that yeah. they, you know, had to, they had to make that jump. And a big jump it was yeah. because that was yeah. a sect that is pretty intense, right? Which is why I was intense. Yeah. yeah. You still are intense. And, it, and it, I'm intense, but I'm more. <laughs> so wait, so are you spiritual now? Do you can still consider yourself religious? How does that all? Not really. No. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think if I had it, I mean, I, if, I, if you backed me into a corner, mm-hmm. I think I would tell you that I would accept Christianity from a behavioral standpoint, from mm-hmm. a do unto others as you would like have them do unto you. Yeah. Um, but probably not. I wouldn't maybe support the theology of Christianity. Okay. I'm probably, you know, um, uh, uh, going to be a late bloomer uh, to Buddhism, I would imagine. That's the kind of the path that I'm moving on as well, right? Yeah. Meditation kind of leads you into... Well, and look, I mean, look at where we are right now. I mean, how can you not be disappointed in what's happening in the world? How Mm -hmm. can you not be scared? Mm -hmm. And Buddhism teaches us that if we if we ameliorate our expectations, mm-hmm. if, we, if we frame our expectations with what is happening mm-hmm. rather than what we think we want or need to happen, mm. then we won't be disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, now, some would call that a pessimistic point of view. I don't think so. I think it's just realism. But there's also, Pragmatism. And there's also a challenge embedded in there, which is the goal is to stay present. Stop, worrying, stop trying to Isn't figure out the true? future. You Isn't know what I mean? true? Yeah, but if you're just and I'm, I have a hard time with that. As I, we all I do. do I, because I'm. Th- hey, I got to tell you, man. I'm thinking about tomorrow, yeah. or I'm thinking about next week, or I'm thinking about how can I parlay my thirty plus, thirty five plus years uh-huh. of being a journalist, of being recognizable in Los Angeles, into working for a movement or product or company I believe in. Yep. And and I, I'm just. Do you trust the universe that that's going to happen? There's only one answer, Jeff. And the answer is yes. Yeah. You got to believe it or it's not. I know. Yeah. I know. And I'm, I'm being really honest with you. That's, I think that's almost biochemical. Mm-hmm. I think that's hard. That's a hard one. It's a hard, it's not a hard one for you to tell me and me to accept hearing you say. Mm-hmm. Yes, Brian, I believe that. Mm-hmm. But if you just waited for me to give you the answer, mm-hmm. that's why you heard that dead air. <laughs> I'm, I'm speaking your language. I'm telling you this because this is stuff you already know. Yeah. You, you know, know, but don't you think it's hard? <laughs> and, and look, all of you out there, any of you listening, all three of you <laughs> listening to us, I want you to, you I want he's, you to, he's not listening to the, the podcast. I'm all. joking. No, I want you to do something that I find hard to do. Mm. When someone tells you, someone you respect, a friend, 
a family member, whatever. When someone tells you something about yourself, listen to them. Listen to them. When someone gives you a compliment, and then when you hear that compliment from others, and it starts to be a recurring compliment, believe it. Mm. And, and when you believe it, own it. Mm-hmm. And that's hard for me. That's the hard part. That's hard for me. Yeah. That's why I couldn't, I had a hard time answering your, mm-hmm. do you believe the universe will bring this to pass? Mm-hmm. You know, because it goes back to value. Mm-hmm. So you're not owning it. Is that part tied into your value and self? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so that's why, but you're, so this is a perfect time for me to ask you this, but you're actively working on trying to learn about yourself, which you mentioned the word therapy. You've mentioned the word meditation. You yes. talked about Buddhism. Yeah. So you're actively working to be able to combat these things. Yes. And that's all we can do. Absolutely. Cause we all have these demons inside of us. I hate to use that word, but well, there's, I mean, yeah, These if you challenges, to, challenges, roadblocks yeah. that we put in front of ourselves. Right. I think, look, I mean, I think that we're heading into a time where I, I'm not sure that the tools that worked for us last year mm. are going to be coming out of the tool belt anytime soon. I really, I, I just don't. I think that whole return to normal phrase, I mean, sure, that's very hopeful, but I don't think we're going to return to normal. Let's talk about what's going on now and how upside down things feel and any level of optimism or hope. Did you have anything like that running through your veins? I mean, what's because you mentioned earlier that you can't help but think about the future, right? We mm-hmm. all can't. What do we do? What do we do in these times? How do we be able to keep ourselves calm and be able to keep ourselves optimistic when it's the unknown is there? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think. I think that. And have you ever seen such a weird time in your life? My dad is 99 years old, uh-huh. functions like he's 60. Uh-huh. My dad has never seen anything like this in his life. 100 years old, never seen anything no, like this. Nothing like this ever. So, no, this is, there's, this is new for all of us. Um, and everyone talks, goes back to 1918 and the Spanish flu. And we don't have very many people around who can tell us about that, but mm-hmm. it, there's a lot of parallels. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we are at a turning point. I think there's one thing the virus has done, the COVID-19 virus has done, that gives us an opportunity for good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'll, I'll get political, but I'm not, I'm not going to disagree with nationalism or protectionism entirely, because mm-hmm. I understand um, we have to employ people. Mm-hmm. We, have, we should be manufacturing here if we can. We have to change our economy. And I understand uh, President Trump's desire to invoke that protectionist, nationalistic kind of banner. Mm-hmm. And it also rallies the troops. But unfortunately, what it does is it also closes us off to a worldview. And, I, and this, is a, this is a worldwide pandemic, mm-hmm. which means it not only affects all of us and hurts all of us, it gives us the opportunity to work as a globe, yeah. as, a, as a globe mm-hmm. to battle it and realize that what, it, what does that mean? That means we, we must be all similar in some way, mustn't we? Mm. Whether we're black or brown or Indian or Muslim mm-hmm. Or whether we whether we earn two dollars a day or two hundred thousand a week, mm-hmm. wow, that virus can affect us all, can it? Maybe maybe there's more we share than are different, mm-hmm. and that is where that's where I'd like to go. Mm-hmm. One of the industries that I'm interested in transitioning into, um, and I'm I'm by the way I'm sorry. Um, SpaceX, Virgin Galactic, Virgin Orbit, and boom, uh, for, for knocking on your door so much. But I believe space exploration and space tourism will give us a new perspective. And yes, right now it's for the wealthy. I get I that. I get where you're going. But eventually it will be reachable for the masses mm-hmm. where you can put human beings in a perspective, in a place where they can see the earth Mm -hmm. without boundaries, without borders, without politics, without Without languages, without color lines and realize how much of our globe is water Uh and how precious that water is Mm -hmm. and how that land mass is going away because the temperature is going up. And you know, so that's, that's, that's where I'm headed, man. That's my hope. 
I'm so glad again I'm talking with you because you're on a different level, dude. Like a lot of my uh, guests, we talk about the importance of travel, right? Just seeing, being exposed to other cultures, understanding what freedom does and doesn't look like. <laughs> That's true. I kind of jumped over that one, didn't I? <laughs> but, but, but your point still remains the same, right? It's, yeah, it it's is. being able to really look at a broad perspective, realize how small we really are. Again, as you mentioned, how much water is on the earth? It's this is. I like that plan. Well, and and what are you going to do once you, you know, get up in in Richard Branson's spaceship two, which you know, uh, is got a lot of subscribers already, and mm-hmm. is going to be launching its its first passenger flight uh, early next year, which will be Richard Branson. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think you're going to do when you get back down? You're going to say, I got to go look around the world now on the ground. Yeah, I just saw it from. A, a near-Earth orbit. Right. I need to explore, right. and then I think I think it's I just think it's mind-changing and heart-changing to see us as a singular people. Look, man, is there? Yeah, are there assholes out there? Is there evil in the world? Damn right there is, of mm-hmm. course. And there's you know I mean the, the Putins of the world will never have enough, mm-hmm. and will never be able to lord over enough people. Mm-hmm. So we, you know we do our best to to wait those people out and hope we can, you know, replace them with people who, you know, are a little bit more mindful mm-hmm. of what is right. Anyway. And again, as we always have these conversations, the main objective in them is to try to talk about something that's surrounded around hope, right? So you definitely did that right there. Right? Yeah. So my question for you is, um, do you think things are going to, as we move into the future, do you think that we're going to see color lines blur a little bit and things are going to get easier? I mean, is this the calm, I mean, is this the, the rock bottom before we start to get, to, before we heal? What do you think? I think as long as there is love in the world, mm-hmm. color lines will blur. Okay. Look at our vice presidential candidate on the Democratic ticket, mm-hmm. Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. She's, she's mixed race. Look at, look at Brian Gallo. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> remember remember the movie Bullworth? Yes, I do. Do you remember the famous line? Uh-uh. When they were saying, how are you going to, you know, something like, how are you going to get uh, the black vote or the this vote or whatever? And he said, I just believe we need to fuck the color out of everybody. <laughs> <laughs> where, we all end up, where we all end up being a little bit of something. And I, I had this conversation last night again about I always figured as I kind of tried to foresee the future that we all were going to inevitably be just mixed race. We'd all be just that's how it works. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, that's a have you done your DNA thing yet? Your ancestry? Yes. Yes. In fact, I just got contacted. I'm I'm about I'm about as white as they come. <laughs> and and uh, I'm from my I'm second generation Scottish. American. Uh-huh. OK, uh, my my mom's first generation. And uh I just got contacted by a woman on Ancestry who is dark skinned black and what? says we have this we have some similar relatives. Well come on. I mean, on my dad's side from North Carolina, uh-huh. multi generational South family, uh-huh. you gotta know. When you go through slavery and you go through all the all the tumult that that part of our country has gone through, you know, God bless them that some, you know, somebody found some love in there. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know? And again it was inevitable. That's right. Inevitable. There's, you know, there, you, I mean, when I was in Virginia, by the way, wherever you live in the country, I'll tell you one piece of advice. And tra- this comes off of travel. Mm-hmm. I'm lucky enough to have worked, as I said, in the wild west of Reno, Nevada, at the capital of the Confederacy in Richmond, Virginia. Mm. Monument Avenue. Okay. We're talking about the monuments that are being torn down now. Wow. To the multicultural capital of the United States, Miami, Florida, Mm -hmm. back to the kind of liberal thinking Hollywood, Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. If you have a chance, they say you should live in New York City once in your life. Yeah. You know what? If you if you grew up on the West Coast, you need to you need to get a taste of the South. If you grew up in the South, you need to go understand New Yorkers or Californians Mm. because you I mean, you need to live among it. Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, this talks to putting yourself in somebody else's shoes, which goes in with just yeah. understanding, which people aren't even willing to do, Jeff. Let's be honest. No, they're just not even willing to try to understand somebody else's experience. Well, because if they do, it it etches into what they believe, yeah. or maybe it takes something from them that they're not willing to give up. You know, whether it's a belief, yeah, 
or a, a, a you know part of my income because my taxes need to go toward helping people who are homeless. I'm you know, but it's I, still growth even if you don't like it, right? It is right. right. It's, it's painful, but it's still growth. Um, tell me a bit about. Right, we're, we're going to wrap this up in a bit. We've got about 10 more minutes, but I want you to talk a bit about, you obviously have hope for your kids. For the, What are you smiling at? What's so funny? No, I'm, I'm surprised you know how, how long we've been talking. Oh yeah, I stay on top of this. So you obviously have hope for, for, for your kids and as far as the future is concerned. You, there's levels of optimism that you're feeling as far as what's to come. Oh, sure. Wonderful. I think, I think you have to. I, I, I mean, I, I will tell you, I think I'm more worried about the world my grandkids will inherit okay. than my grandparents were ever worried about the world I would inherit. Mm -hmm. So I think there I, is some concern there. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on. The term global warming is 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 only, a, you know, a few decades old. I mean, and that alone is enough to, to be really worried about as far as your our grandkids and such. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There's yeah. there was never the only thing that I mean, look, the only thing that there was a singular there was a singular threat to the world's population until about 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And that was nuclear war. Mm -hmm. Now it's just us. Mm -hmm. The garbage we leave, the methane we create, the ozone we destroy, you know, now thankfully, you know, there are people out there who are striving and working to lower our carbon footprint. And then there are people who believe that somehow the, you know, for example, in the United States, the 300 plus million people we have in the United States are not contributing to global warming. I think mm -hmm. we need to bring them around and say, hey, so do you, even if you don't believe it, do your part. Mm -hmm. You know, what's, how much is it going to hurt you? We can do your part. We can't even get people to put on masks right now. The idea of trying to get somebody to... You just, Would you explain that to me? I can't. I think that what's happening is that people are, everybody wants to have a voice now. And when people walk out these anti-maskers, everybody just wants to be heard. And it's giving people a platform to be able to bitch, uh, get focus on themselves, get attention, energy, something. Because you and I both know it's a lot easier to just put it on. Yeah. It, 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 I think maybe there's a, maybe there's just a fundamental misunderstanding or non-understanding of what a microscopic virus is. Well, there that obviously, yes. But then I think for me, the biggest issue with these people is just the level of disrespect. It's just not uh, looking, the golden rule. It's not doing onto others as they would do onto others. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, I think we're at a time where, I mean, uh, you know, I don't always walk, heck, I don't walk out of the house with a smile on my face, you know, maybe 50% of the time. So do I have the, do I have the brain juice to think about others before myself, mm -hmm. sometimes I do. Mm -hmm. If we weren't in a pandemic, I'd have a little more. That's honest. You know? Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, on the, the flip side of that, I have, you know, I've enjoyed reaching out to people. I mean, I remember when the pandemic started, I had a job and I was, I, I was tipping everybody and sharing as much as I could, mm -hmm. you know, because I was able to yeah, spread love. And you know, now I still am. I'm living off of a savings account. Mm -hmm. I'm thankful that I was able to build one. So mm -hmm. I have money to live on uh, until the next opportunity opens up. Don't get it. He's but, starting a small business with Kathleen. Don't even don't don't mislead. Well, that's, these one, people. That's, that's one of my uh, don't mislead these people. He's gonna be all right. <laughs> um, so before I say goodbye to you, I want you to tell us a bit about some of the things that you do in your day to day or weekly that keep you um, sane, right? I want to leave the viewers with something that they can apply to themselves to keep themselves uh, in a happy space. Okay. So share right. some of the things that you do. This is going to some of it. Some of this is going to sound uh, pretty perfunctory and maybe even elementary. Mm. Um, I find I have a, I, I'm, I don't joke about this. I have, a, I'm sure, undiagnosed adult ADD. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that comes with the type of brain that is always searching for new thoughts and ideas and whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so what I do, I, first of all, I have an alarm. I, in almost all cases, make myself get up at a reasonable hour in the morning. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be 5 a.m., usually by 7.30 or so. Mm -hmm. And I know this sounds strange. I wake up, my my dog Tucker comes into the room, or maybe he's already in the room. I hug him. I get down on the floor in my in my underwear and t-shirt, and I just spend about 30 seconds 
hugging Tucker and bonding with him. Mm-hmm. I want to feel love the first thing in the morning. Then, and I know this, sound, this is going to sound like I'm 10 years old. I make my bed because the, the practice of, being, of, of having a few strict things I do gives me the freedom to feel accomplishment. Mm-hmm. So even making my bed, I, I do that and I look at the bedroom and I realize no chaos here. Okay. Mm-hmm. I then go do some exercise. We go out, we do our jog or our walk and push-ups and whatever. I spend an hour exercising. I come home, I shower, I actually, I shave. I don't, I, I don't pretend that I'm stuck at home without a job. I pretend I'm going to work. Mm-hmm. And I get, I don't have to, I wear shorts, mm-hmm. you know, but I, you know, I look good. Mm-hmm. I, I get my coffee, I get some, uh, some breakfast and I go into my office and I read and I, I write down in my journal at the very top, shh, Tucker, no, at the very top, I write down the date mm-hmm. and then I write down thankful. And I think of three things I'm thankful for. And then I try to write down, write down at least three or four things I want to accomplish that day, realizing that I've already accomplished something. Mm-hmm. I've gotten up. I've shared a little love with my dog, hugging my dog. I've made my bed. I've exercised. You know what I mean? I've showered. I've eaten well. So I'm taking care of myself and I'm, and I'm getting things done. And then I feel, okay, I'm a, I feel a little better about myself. Mm-hmm. So if I want to reach out to this person whose company I'm interested in, mm-hmm. I now have, you know, a little bit of uh, confidence, confidence yeah. that I can do that. And that's how I run my day. And, and I, and some days are better than others. Mm-hmm. You know, some days you get a response and it's, and it's wonderful. Um, and then I, tr- I, I try, I'm this week, I'm doing a much better job. Uh, I, I try not to uh, open a bottle of wine every night. <laughs> That's tough during COVID. That is very tough. For I, all of us. I, I'm buddy. serious though. I, I, because I've, I've noticed myself going into as much of a habit after five o'clock mm-hmm. as I was doing at, at 8 a.m., oh, only it. in a different direction. Uh-huh. And it's, you know what? It just doesn't help me wake up the way I want to wake up. Yeah. So I'm trying to leave that off the burner for a while. Which that was a left turn right there as far as started, starting to try to not drink as much. Again, I think that this is where we're eating more, we're drinking more, we're sleeping in more, but I like this. So I'm going to repeat what you said real quick. So first thing you do when you wake up is you hug that gorgeous dog for at least 30 seconds, <laughs> right? And start your day with love. Out of all of the questions and all of the answers I've received from people, that is now one of my top three, because what a way to start your day. You know, I think that for me, I wake up with a lot of anxiety. Sure. You know, it's like, okay, who do I have to call? What do I have to do? What didn't I do yesterday? And the idea, I've got a dog. The idea of just loving on Rocky for a minute sets the great tone for the day. Um, Wow. And then you get out of bed, you get out of bed, you make your bed, you go and you exercise, exercise, you come home, you get in front of the computer. I love it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to leave everybody with this, and this is my favorite. If you don't have a dog, get a dog. If you've got a man or a woman, love on them first thing in the morning because that is a beautiful way to start your day. Agreed. Um, anything else you want to add before we say goodbye? No, I would just say, uh, I would say first, depending upon when this podcast airs, please vote. Mm. Please vote. Second, please, when you listen to information, Please search for the source of that information. Don't say I read it on Facebook. Please find out who said it and who reported it. Um, Be careful what you believe. You know, because as soon as you start believing something, it may start feeding a part of you that you don't want to be fed. Uh, And then don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Find people you love. Hang with the people who love you mm-hmm. and uh, don't, don't be an island. I love that. I love that. And I think, again, another one of my takeaways from this conversation, again, is do your research, you know, give yeah. your, give your, do yourself that justice, do yourself that duty, you know? Um, all right. Well, thank you. 
Thank you for having me. We are a minute. We are an hour on the nose. That never happens. Uh, big thanks to Jeff Michael and a big thanks to you. Always make sure to like us on Facebook, Instagram, all social media platforms, and uh, stick around because we've got much more for you coming our way. Again, thanks, Mike. All right. I mean, Jeff Michael. I called you Mike. Right. My dad goes by Mike because nobody got that right either. I know you all too well, and you will too. Again, Google him. How can we follow you? All the Facebooks and stuff? Uh, yeah, I don't do Facebook a lot, but I'm, I'm on Facebook. Uh, I'm Jeff Michael News on Twitter. I'm Jeff C. Mike. Jeff C. Michael, Jeff Michael TV on, I don't know. Just look okay. me up. I'm yeah. on social media. Yeah, just find him. And again, uh, love on each other. We love you, and uh, we'll see you soon.